0: Once when I was a teenager, I don't really remember what age exactly, but my father, with some pleasure, was tell, sharing an idea with me that he had, had to give some consideration at one point in his life. Um, it garnered significance for him when he was serving in World War II. Um, The consideration was that of Pascal's wager. Is anybody familiar with that? Pascal was a child prodigy in the 17th century um, whose research went a long way to give us some considerable information about fluids and uh, pressure and vacuums, but he was a mathematician, and a writer, and uh, a physicist, an inventor, but it, uh, the wager kind of goes like this. It's a mathematical thing, draws a box, and on one side it says, God exists, there is no God. On the, uh, going across, it's like, if God exists, then uh, if you bet that there is a God, what happens in this column? If you bet there's not a God, what happens in this column? And so the wager goes that if if God exists and you wager uh, that God exists, then the payoff is infinite reward, and if you don't wager that God exists, then you have infinite loss. if you wager that God doesn't exist and God does exist, then you haven't lost anything. But if God doesn't exist, you haven't won anything either. So mathematically, the wager was better to bet on that God was there. And I think... At a lot of places historically, that kind of reasoning motivated a lot of people um, to kind of double down on their faith. Now, within Unitarian Universalist circles, one can encounter countless opinions and stories and arguments that individuals hold for themselves on the subject and understanding that accompany the word God. Concepts of God, even within Unitarian Universalism, can range from a, a powerful human-like supernatural being with feelings and a uh, personality that responds to human pain and, and uh, all the way to very abstract. Um, the absolute infinite, the transcendent, existence itself, being itself, the ground of being, an esoteric uh, mystery or mystical uh, philosophy. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that people can employ that word in their lives or that they translate that when they hear it so that it has use for them That's just to mention a very cursory few that are included among our number. But when I think of Unitarian Universalism and Christianity, there's an article that was written some 17 years ago in the UU World magazine, which is a quarterly uh, publication of our tradition. And if you don't receive it and you're a member, We need to get you on that list. It should come to you in the mail once a season. Anyway, 17 years ago, there was an article by Rosemary Bray McNatt, who is currently the president of Star King School for the Ministry, which is one of our two primary seminaries. She was, for 13 years, the senior minister at the Fourth Universalist Society in New York City on the... uh, Upper West Side. That's a (laughs) 175-year-old congregation. Um, She was born and raised in Chicago and a Yale graduate. Okay, Now, in the article, in this particular UU World magazine article, she was writing about why Dr. Martin Luther King was not a Unitarian. Rosemary Bray McNatt had been under consideration to be the co-writer for Coretta Scott King's autobiography. She did not end up with that role, but she was under serious consideration, and during that time had a number of lengthy, wide-ranging conversations with Coretta Scott King. and she was surprised when she told Coletta Scott King that she was a Unitarian because a, a pleased look came across Mrs. King's face. And she said that she had attended Unitarian churches a lot, and that when she was in college, she had been a part of an organization that was very popular in Unitarian. And universal circles. Um, back then it was Unitarian because the merger had not yet happened between Unitarians and Universals. Anyway, and she said that she she was she had attended Unitarian churches a lot even before she met Martin, and that when they were in Boston, they went to Unitarian churches together. But as she said, they had given a lot of thought to becoming Unitarian, but decided in the end, they came to realize that if they were Unitarian, they could not build a mass black movement. I want to share a few quotes from the article. This one is uh, from some things Dr. King said about liberalism. There's one phase of liberalism that I hope to cherish always. It's devotion to the search for truth. It's refusal to abandon the best light of reason. He goes on to say, the more I observed the tragedies of history and man's shameful inclination to choose the low road, the more I came uh, to feel that liberalism had a superficial optimism by believing in human nature, that uh, the what William Ellery Canning called the. Uh, Salvation by character, being able to improve oneself enough to warrant whatever salvation was. Liberalism failed to see that reason by itself is little more than an instrument to justify man's defensive ways of thinking. Reason devoid of purifying power of faith Can never free itself from distortions and rationalizations. Dr. King wrote that religious experience is not an intellectual formulation about God, it's a lasting acquaintance with God. He concluded that although experience is not the only way to find God, it is probably the primal way. It's a road open to all levels of human intelligence. Bray goes on to write: the notion of the self-perfectibility of human beings was an inadequate theology in the face of the sustained hatred and embodied evil of the segregationist South. Yet King retained his faith in the great potential for goodness and humanity. His faith in the possibilities of human nature. That Unitarians and Universalists would lift up as a central affirmation of our free faith. We talk about the five smooth stones. We talk about that our optimism is justified. Uh, for King to have answered the call to a liberal religious faith, a faith that clearly resonated with him. Since his earliest days of graduate studies, however, would have meant a fatal separation from the source of his power, a faith in a suffering God who stood with suffering people despite their mistakes and failures and covenantal love between himself and oppressed African Americans, the people who grounded his passion for justice but did not restrict it solely to themselves. Now, that's Dr. King's kind of spin on things. This next part is McNatt's experience. She says, I had been a Unitarian universalist for eight or nine years when I moved to Detroit. I was participating in a service at the Detroit church and in my part of the presentation, I had talked about God. An older woman approached me during coffee hour later that morning to inform me that, as you use, we had given up on the notion of God. She demanded that, I, that uh, to know how I, as an African-American woman, could possibly talk about God when the same reprehensible Christian concept had been used to justify slavery. I was dumbfounded by her vehemence, but not too shocked to remind her that it was that same Traditions God, most particularly a just and loving God whose movement was forever toward justice and freedom and wholeness that had inspired much of the anti-slavery movement, and indeed most of the major reform movements of the 19th century, that we as Unitarian Universalists are so eager to claim. Finally, I informed her that I was just as much Unitarian and universalist as she was, and I had not given up on the notion of God. I couldn't decide what was more frightening, that she seemed oblivious to our historic roots as a liberal Christian community of faith, or that she wanted to make sure no mention of a higher power of any kind ever disturbed her worship experience. It's not that a question had not occurred to me before. Indeed, I had engaged in a spiritual struggle over a few years uh, earlier that nearly ended in my leaving our faith for a more traditional expression of Christianity. Yet in the end, I could not go. Unitarian Universalism won my heart and mind because both God and freedom are precious to me, and it is only within our non-creedal tradition that I have felt there is a chance, however slight, that I may lay claim to both. I ask myself then, as I have asked myself hundreds of times since, how much do we mean it when we talk about inclusion? about becoming an anti-racist religious community when we are not willing to acknowledge, incorporate, or engage the historical, theological realities alive among many people of color. In the end, Dr. King chose to forego liberal religious enterprise among Unitarian Universalists and lean instead on God that promised never to leave or forsake him. Many of us in the free and responsible search for truth and meaning have found our way back to belief in God, however different from where that started, after a long sojourn elsewhere. Now, Mixed this with my notes. Excuse me. Well. For Dr. King to do the things that he did, he needed something that could sustain him when there was no hope, when he was exhausted, when every indicator around him was that the world was working against him, except for the people that you were, know, shared in some of the marches and efforts that he has made. So if our response to theology and language that the majority of those within the black culture and many others call upon to sustain them through otherwise intolerable circumstances, if our response is a knee-jerk dismissal or constriction of our willingness to incorporate or embrace or include those experiences and those realities of others, then I think we have deep work to do. We're approaching winter, believe it or not, and winter is a time when nature turns inward. It invites us to become more introspective. And so for this season, I have some questions that I would like for you to consider. Have you ever hit a wall and found yourself in a time of feeling that you have nothing left to give? Where you felt pain that left you feeling just flat, used up. In such a state, if not, you are fortunate beyond measure. And that calls for gratitude, I think, to lift our spirits. But in such a state, if you have experienced those things, to what have you turned What tools do you have to sustain you in times like that? What tools do we, as a movement, have to offer our children that provide lasting, unremitting hope What tools do we provide that allow them to transform (laughs) resentments into acceptance, fear into hope, anger into love, and exhaustion into inspired strength? A movement that cannot provide tools in those sorts of circumstances is pretty anemic. To build the beloved community, to grow into the potential we have for so long been, the potential that we have for so long been to transform and endure and transcend the storms and conditions that swirl around us, We must find grounding in something truly profound. For me, this is the spiritual quest. This is why we encourage one another to spiritual growth. We challenge one another to question our assumptions over and over and over again. I think, in part, Dr. King was unable to use Unitarian tradition to build his movement because our stories were not big enough. There was no archetypal defining narrative to live into. To reference in those times we must learn to weave stories together to provide a redemptive narrative for a world that is always in tremendous pain I do not believe that our optimism is naive. I believe the things that we have come out of provide us opportunities over and over again to peel back more layers of understanding. I'm comfortable personally using the word God. What I mean by that is very different than what my sister means when she says it. Yet I would venture to say that my confidence in the arc of the moral universe is as strong as my sister's faith. I'm not betting on Pascal's wager. I'm working from my own experience, and that's all any of us can do. But during this season of introspection, I invite you to try to find your way to that place that you can include those other people's narratives more comfortable. You don't have to adopt them. The beloved community means we love all of them, all of us, all all expressions.